Jenko, happy Friday. Hey, man. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. I'm just reading through a couple of threads you have here. The class action, and then everybody's talking about um, the chat. What is it? The, the AI chat. Yes. Um, AI chat is fascinating. GPT. And, uh, <laughs> this lawsuit, man, um, I think we should talk about sure. it. It's That's exactly uh, what we I, said was I coming. just got through skimming it. Yep. I just got through skimming it, and it's interesting. All right. Let's start with the introductions. Welcome to LexLine. Brought to you by Carlo and Jenko in conjunction with Rug Radio, where we talk about Web3, blockchain, and cryptocurrency law. Nothing we talk about here should be considered legal or financial advice. If you have a legal question, you should consult a lawyer privately. Don't do it on a recorded Twitter space because we record these, we rebroadcast them. So if you come up to speak, you're going to be on, guess what? Big announcement. LexLine is now available on iTunes podcast, Jenko. For real? For reals. Okay, nice. Yeah, very cool. Um, we got a yeah, nice... We're trying to make gotta... this a spot for less a show with a big audience, but more a spot for us to come together. I like what we're going to be doing next week, what we're going to be doing with um, Elizabeth and others. And then we can kind of make this to be a nice, nice little hub. Um, very cool. And then, and then they can live on on these pod, podcast kind of platforms and formats. Very cool, Carlo. Thanks for making that happen. Oh yeah, look, uh, we got a great uh, producer on our team now who's doing a lot of this heavy lifting for us, which is very nice, and frees us up to to do just do this. the heavy lifting of the show. Yeah, and thankfully, in order to help us do the heavy lifting, we have this beautiful uh, array of lawyers who jump in, and uh, I think today should be a good day to talk about... A good about... Friday topic. Yes, yes. A couple good Friday topics, and then next week we'll, we get, we'll, we'll have some scheduled things happening. But yeah, absolutely. I want to dive in because I want to... I want to get folks opinions on the AI, but I also want to understand this, you know, the, the details of, of people's opinions on this lawsuit, because they're exactly what we said was coming, right? This, this, well, hang on on the AI conversation, hang on on the AI conversation. Peltz is in the house. And I think Peltz is going to be able to join us next week, Wednesday to talk about a fascinating blog post that he wrote, uh, discussing the copyright implications of AI and he used the AI generator in part to write that blog post. So I want to get into all things because I've seen Peltz playing with it. He actually did something fascinating last night where he plugged in a bar exam question and the damn AI nailed the answer. So collectively, we're all doomed. Well, it should nail the answer. Can I, can, I want to understand what's the difference between just a very complex search result and general kind of artificial general intelligence you know what i'm saying like because google has that information as well too it's just not condensed and 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 regurgitated in such a clear way so it's it's not about having the information it's about finding it when you have such a prompt um, so ex lawyers in the house, someone we never really get to chat with. So I want to, for those who, who kind of understand those nuances, feel free to share. Cause that discussion really matters because like Google didn't stop us and the photograph didn't stop our, and a whole lot of things can just be tools, but we'll, we'll see what happens. X what's up, man. Thanks for joining. Yeah. Hey, Hey guys. Good to <clears throat> GM. Good to see everybody. Uh, sorry. I haven't been around much, been super busy, but you know, on the AI thing. So I'm going to try not to give, well, so I'm starting a new company. Uh, I'm president of the company and we're having to build a new website and it's a customer facing website and we have to generate a lot of content and like nobody really has time to write the content. So 
almost all of the content that is going on this site has been generated by um, OpenAI and, and ChatGPT. And the, when the incredible did it, when thing did you about start doing that, just so I have um, about a week ago. Um, nice. I, I've, <laughs> yeah, generated pages and pages and pages worth of content, three thousand six hundred ninety-six words um, worth of content in you know a week time, but really in a couple of hours time. And the, the incredible thing is when you write a prompt um, in this, like, I, I don't want to dox myself too much, but I, I wrote a prompt that said, write a uh, write copy for a web page that sells X. The company name is X. Use paragraphs and a couple of bullets close with a call to action. What it spit out is good enough that I could just put it on the website. I wouldn't have to edit anything. But if I spend... 10 minutes editing it, I, I can take out a little bit of that kind of repetition that you get within AI generation. Um, and like, is it what I would pay a copywriter to write? No, it's not. It's not that good, but it's good enough that on a customer facing website that I've got to throw together as quickly as possible, I can move on to other tasks that need my time. It's incredible what it can do. That is scary stuff. You know, I look out in the audience and I see Wendy out there who writes copy. And I'd love to know how Wendy feels about this because this does present for, for many people who, who, are, who are creating written word, tremendous challenge. I mean, website designers, content and copyright creators, this, even scripts. I mean, this is crazy. I've seen people write entire fantasy stories based on just plugging in some AI scenarios. This is nuts, Janko. It's it's the imagination that it sparks is nuts, but I don't know if the practical implications are nuts right now. Like X says that he saves money and time in his business. That's transformative for a small business or a startup, but it's not light it doesn't shatter the earth. Like things still, it's still copy on the screen, and he still said that a copywriter would be better. So if I, 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 I'm not, I don't see it as catastrophic changes just yet, but um, it's certainly interesting. If you spend 45 minutes on Google, you can get the answer to the bar exam question that you ask. But now it's 45 seconds, and it's in a co- coherent paragraph form already that's it's a time and money it's an efficiency thing so so what are the entities going to do with the extra time is what's going to separate them apart so before the other, Ira, i want to give i want to give dow lexa thanks for yeah new, she put her new hand to up. lex so, and then line to Ira. yeah welcome dow lexa you're new yeah it's actually my first time here i just caught in on my feed and i was like hey i want to join and see what you guys are talking about and thank you for having me on i just wanted to add to what dex and ray said um honestly like i'm mostly on linkedin and these days sorry alexa stop sorry about this so um were you talking to a pet or a house assistant (laughs) assistant like we kind of have the same name that's all (laughs) so uh and i've been seeing a lot on linkedin that everyone are going crazy on um on ai and uh many are actually moving (laughs) to ai from web3 experts uh however that's on the side it's i tried it and i actually use my post that i that i've done before and asked it to rewrite and it actually created quite good posts. And uh, I recently decided to kind of start my own consultancy. So just added that it definitely saves time and it saves on the cost. Um, however, I don't, unless they really advance it, I don't think it's something that you could really use on, um, you know, when you're advancing more as a business, but in really, really early stages when you don't have time or, enough funds it can really help um to like new entrepreneurs and anyone who is starting out and um i also tried since i mainly focused on DAOs, i i tried it out to see like you know to write uh, an article on DAO legal challenges and 
honestly, it was a bit scary good. Like, it really grasped the essence and really explained well. So I'm curious to see, like, you know, whether that could be a good source, for example, to learn from uh, rather than some of the current platforms to have. Thanks. Yeah, no, look, I couldn't agree I more. Think- you're you're on you're nailing it, and the thing that we we haven't really talked about is the fact that with every with every entry that is made, it's learning and it's improving. It is in its infancy, and it has the potential to get exponentially better in a very very short time. I mean, if you if you look at that particular aspect of it, the the fact that it learns and evolves with every everything it generates it's it's going to grow exponentially fast and improve. And that's where I think the potential, um, not only convenience, but I think the potential for for putting people out of work it seriously exists there. That's, I don't know. Net, net, it might be more jobs. I just don't know the implications yet. But, but to the education point that she just made, um, doubt, how would you say your name? Dal Alexa? Alexa. Alexa. Fine both. <laughs> um, it's a really great tool, maybe not for the finished product to send out, even though LinkedIn, it seems like there's this rush to just like, it used to be if you wrote a great thread on Twitter or a blog on LinkedIn, you got some attention because of the work that goes into because everyone knows the hurdle it takes to produce and publish that it kind of is an, is an indicator to me like, Oh, they know that subject. The words in this blog don't mean much because they had and they have to know that subject from a 360 degree angle before they publish such a, a document. Now, if everyone can just publish it, I don't care. I, like, I'm not going to look at them as a, as a, as a, as some sort of a, area expert or anything but it's really in teaching yourself there's really a lot of applications where like as you're huddling up with your team or whatever you can get sophisticated answers to things that would take otherwise like a three-day research project from a paralegal so so i i i just always go back to the exciting thing may not be like replacing jobs where the this is a final product output but it can really help the process of creating things and truncate it. And then things that get created can just be that much more better. But I still think you need a lawyer, an engineer, a coder, because X read that copy and he had to put it on his marketing and consumer products hat and read through it and at least make the decision of if it needed to be edited or not. Um, So I don't know how close we'd ever be comfortable handing it a product over to general AI. But once that happens, then like, I think it was X or Law Toshi or someone said, AI can respond to your emails. Gmail is reading your emails anyway, so let it respond. And then the other side will have a bot responding and then they just go back and forth. (laughs) You have to just read it to learn what's going on in our life. And if something went wrong, oh, if something goes wrong, like blame on the AI. Yeah, blame the AI. It wasn't me. You have to like go and read the thread to see whose AI bot screwed up. What do you say, X? Oh, yeah, I mean, fun. so you make a really good point, and and um, as does Carlo. It's it's so cliched, but it's very early. Um, so two of the pages that I'm writing that or that I needed content for are very similar. Um, they're, they're almost the identical product. They're just used in different places. You can't use exactly the same copy. Um, but because the products are so similar, it did spit out exactly the same copy on some of the bullet points. And so there's certainly a limitation there, um, which means I had to go back and rewrite a couple of bullet points. No big deal. It was still way, way faster than me trying to, to write it from scratch. Um, but I think you, you pose a, an interesting question there. So if AI, if we, if we allow AI to respond for us on, you know, simple emails and simple question, and it answers something wrong, does the creator of the AI potentially have liability 
um, or do we have liability or, or is there plenty of liability for, for everyone? <laughs> the, the, the AI <laughs> program disclaimed it and I disclaimed it in my email signature that it's an AI responding. So I don't know. You're kind of left holding the bag. It, and it may not just respond, but it may then ping my phone and ask me how I want to respond in a more concise way. I mean, that would be the employee a that asked. Case. I don't know. Texas, what do you think? Well, I think you're right, Carlo, that it's in its infancy and it's already really, really good. And it's just going to get better while we have to eat and sleep and rest and do all the human things. It's getting better and better. And it's just going to continue to do so. I think about the way this technology can be abused and misused. And it makes me think about that old saying from Winston Churchill, I think, what a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth can put its pants on. When you combine this with deep fake technology, I think there's a big, very scary potential to really um, put the Russian troll farms and, you know, everyone who's trying to put out disinformation to mess with elections or whatever it is. Uh, this is going to just be steroids for them if they're able to use it correctly. I think wow. that's what scares me in the most immediate future. <laughs> wow. Hadn't even thought of that, but you're right. I mean, the potential abuse that could come from something like this when you merge it with deep fakes. And I wonder if the AI could even generate those deep fakes. I mean, there's so many layers to this. Crazy. Well, you know, Adobe has that technology right now to emulate voice we used it like five years ago on a on a platform so it just samples it basically ingests all the youtube videos and samples folks voices and then it can emulate them and it's really really solid on that but you know, one, one of the things you know i've been we have lawrobot.com that we put together many many years ago in my law firm because we saw a need for like chatbots and things like that uh in the old days, they were kind of like automated forms. And so we put together that kind of consulting consultancy, and we used Watson and all these different tools. And this blows, this blows everything away that we were using. But the one thing that I think that this is going to, to change, that this will be known for from the legal nerdy perspective, is it's basically weaponizing fair use. In the old days... You know, folks, you know, use the Gary V approach to getting traffic, which is kind of the oxygen for web marketing and web presence. Which are loading up on any given site a lot of relevant content, but you couldn't just go ahead and grab it because it'd be copyright infringement. Um, right now, this kind of AI with machine learning has an obfuscation layer, which basically converts everything that it ingested and all the corpus of it, unlike Google, into machine learning. And then socially right now, at least as the way things stand, we accept that none of that stuff could be infringing. So now all of a sudden, instead of having to go and license stuff or pay folks overseas, you know, in these mills to create content, you get really, really, really great content. Not the kind that you ever have to need for client services, but the stuff that can attract traffic with millions of pages of free content that folks could use, and they don't even have to have English as their first language. So for me, it, it really eviscerates content um, for SEO, traffic content. It eviscerates the need to license stuff. Like you don't have to go to Getty Images anymore or, or pay people to license content. And it creates a new era. You know, even in law school or in undergrad, professors are not going to let people work from home anymore because if folks who are completely incompetent could look like a B student, maybe not the A student, um, that's going to make it so they have zero incentive to actually write their own essays. And so this is so game-changing to so many industries that the only thing that's going to really matter in the end for professionals is going to be the last mile. What could you do on top of this 90% to make yourself stand out? So that's 
that's kind of like the way I see it, it distilled to its essence. Well, I definitely, I want to put a pin in this because I want everyone to calendar next Wednesday when we're going to have pelts and I'd love to get the rest of our EI, our, 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 our IP crew in the house to talk about the copyright implications of this because Ira, you make excellent points and it does turn search engine optimization on its head now because Google traffic is largely driven by content. And if you're constantly able to update the content on your website, you're able to game the Google system. So this presents interesting, uh, interesting opportunities. I want to pivot to the Yuga lawsuit in the time we have. And also I want to welcome a new lawyer to the, to the Web3 legal community thread, Franklin Graves. Franklin, come up and say hi to everybody. And then let's talk about this Yuga lawsuit that dropped. Wow. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the shout out. Yeah, it's an honor to be a part of the team and, and join the group. So thanks for having me. I look forward to an awesome discussion with some of the brightest minds, honestly, around. Yeah, we're very fortunate here. We get some big brains that come in the house and uh, they make our job a lot easier. <laughs> they take a lot of the weight off of our shoulders. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, this Yuga lawsuit, Jenko, is incredibly interesting to read. It's you just sort of wrote a, the AI conversation, huh? We're holding I did, because... comments. We've got a big crowd. We'll, we'll hang it. We'll hold it over till Wednesday because pelts, but... I, there's probably enough to talk about for two weeks straight, but exactly, <laughs> exactly. There's no end to this. There's definitely no end to this debate without question. Um, While Ira was talking, I put his points into the chat box. So I had a bunch of retorts that I was going to read out, but literally Janko, Janko is now gaming the system by generating his own. No. <laughs> I love it. I love no, it. No, I asked the chat box about the Yuga Labs law. The, 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 I believe what I believe this is the tip of the iceberg. I believe this is what we talked about 12 months ago. If there's any question about if, if you're in the gray area or over the line, the SEC is almost the last, like not your number one. Like there's a private right of action that's available to anyone who can connect with any aggressive or creative plaintiff's attorney or class action firm. And like, that's the wave. Um, I can, I, if this industry grows enough to have enough money where enough of these NFT projects have treasuries, this will come in, in droves. I, I, I have no analysis of the, of the complaint or where it lands, but I'm just not shocked at all. This is going to be a meaningful part of web three, I think. Without question, and we've heard the rumblings that this lawsuit was coming, and this lawsuit basically amplifies concerns about celebrities promoting cryptocurrencies and NFTs, which is something that we've seen go on and on in this space. And this particular lawsuit alleges a orchestrated plan between Yuga, the Board Ape Yacht Club, and several celebrity influencers who were Is leveraged Moon named yes the way it's that i'll go to paragraph that, three that's the problem bingo moon pay so paragraph three celebrity <laughs> jenko you're rugging a little bit that's all right well while we recover jenko's signal I'm going to jump to paragraph three of this lawsuit. This case epitomizes these concerns as it involves a vast scheme between a blockchain startup company, Yuga Labs Inc., a highly connected Hollywood talent agent, defendant Guy Oseri, and a front operation, MoonPay, who all united for the purpose of promoting and selling a suite of digital assets. The executives at Yuga and Oseri together devised a plan to leverage their vast network of A-list musicians, athletes, and celebrity clients and associates to misleadingly promote and sell the Yuga financial products. Can, and does, they paint a picture of how all these celebrities were onboarded through MoonPay and Oseri, yeah. and then the, including the, videos, the Tonight Show, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it talks about, it even goes into, it's an interesting timeline of the whole Yuga development because well, it talks about the Rolling timeline. Stone. 
yeah, yeah. it talks about the whole, it, and guys connections to music we talk about in art the kind of front running and market making are the the norm does this cause of action if i read it correctly i don't want to say i want to kind of open for discussion um to confirm what i believe does it it you have to prove that it's an investment contract to get to these actions rising to the level of liability um it, i think that a premise to that because the interconnectedness even if true i don't know if it gives liability without it being a security it does anyone else want to yeah, no, no, you're absolutely that. right. Because in yeah. order to the, what the whole thing is premised on just that, right, Ira, because what they're basically saying is that these celebrities were promoting without properly disclosing uh, that these are registered or should be or should be securities, right? Unregistered Ira, securities. What, the, what do you um, think, Ira? I'm not going to give a great answer to this. I mean, it's a very, very long complaint. But um, there may be, from my memory, deception in there that they didn't disclose their relations and their compensation. And that may be independent of whether or not it's a security, basically the Kim Kardashian thing. But the thing about this is this, um, and I've done a I've done class action work in my day, and this thing, um, first of all, if it, if it can go through and all these uh, causes of action remain, it's going to be the mother of all e-discovery and ESI types of festivities here. But let me really distill it down very simply put this will be open to heckles but in a class action with commonality and typicality you know does answering the question for one answer it for all and there's just so many procedural hurdles that i see right here that the defense is going to have a field day with this i mean you have a situation where even the class itself can be in pari delicto because multiple folks in the class um, it could have a greater knowledge than other folks in the class. And some of the folks in the class may themselves have been endorsers or many folks made money. And so it's one of these things where, um, and some folks weren't deceived and other folks knew about the deception, believed they were legal securities, participated anyway, <laughs> didn't care. sold it and sold their own ape coin. And so became part of the very evil that this thing is designed to protect against. So at the end of the day, the way that I'm seeing this is that you shove all this stuff into a complaint and you get yourself over to mediation at jams before a retired federal judge. And the ultimate result will probably be some agreement to some injunctive relief for better notice and attorney's fees. Um, but they have to be very careful right here because the remedies themselves uh, if pursued too vigorously would actually hurt the class in terms of the valuation of the coin and of the uh, of the board apes that people actually own. And so they have to be very, very, very careful right here. But I think this is a procedural quagmire. And I think ultimately this is the kind of case that will be resolved for something that's kind of like some injunctive relief with better notice. So that's kind of my initial Those are good points. Those are good points. I didn't think the class certification would go plaintiff's way that's going to be a hurdle well, but, well you gotta also like remember said, ray, ray, ray they, you know there's a there's a class action waiver in the ape coin terms of use so those are binding and it may be if binding you get them binding some, but remember well, on, the early buyers the terms weren't even up at some point i, I don't know if they were up at mint. right right so you're going to have the problem with you know, that's why the class wouldn't get yeah, the commonality I, I couldn't agree more go I, I, some some folks may have not only class action waivers but they have to go to arbitration with AAA, and uh which is also in the in the terms and uh so this is going to be the first in the very first motion you're going to see um there'll be all sorts of motions but uh, one of them will be a motion to compel arbitration and uh on, on an individual basis maybe not but we'll see it's it's fascinating. It it paints a tale. I'm going to just brief briefly quote paragraph five that kind of sets the table for what the rest of the lawsuit is, which is a timeline of all the celebrity endorsements that were not revealed and how it was all orchestrated. In order to make the promotion of and subsequent interest in the BAYC NFTs appear to be organic, as opposed to being solely the result of a paid promotion, the company needed a way to discreetly pay their celebrity cohorts. To do this, 
O'Siri was tapped into a different part of his network, the MoonPay defendants. O'Siri's venture capital firm was one of the early investors in MoonPay, blah, blah, blah. And then in truth, executive defendants and O'Siri used their connections to MoonPay and its service as covert way to compensate the promoter defendants for their promotions of the BAYC NFTs without disclosing it to unsuspecting investors. That's the claim I don't like an FTC type that undisclosed is does that need to rely it has does it have to be a, an investment kind of security? No. I mean that's here's where the thing. I was going. I don't but, I, go ahead, Ira. Thanks. Yeah, okay. Sorry about that. In in California, um, we have business and professions code section seventeen two hundred, which is like the mini FTC Act. And there you could just get injunctive relief for anything that's kind of a deceptive or unfair business practice. And it could rely upon other state and federal laws that, generally speaking, others would normally not have standing to pursue. So even if only FTC could pursue something, here you may be able to rely upon that and incorporate it into uh, BPC 17200, which is manifested in this complaint. That's 93A in Massachusetts. Any the unfair, deceptive, very, very broad. It it allows these yes. undisclosed activities to be pinged on with a lot of state causes of action. So that might be something that could survive. But then we go back to where Ira's. If the waiver, if the terms apply, you end up in the class is isn't allowed, and you end up in single arbitration. Yeah, we can't we can't sleep on, you know, things like unclean hands and impari delicto, because um, now I, you know I recognize that, you know, you want to obviously give remedies to aggrieved investors who are buying unlicensed securities, but we've got something a little bit different going on right here, where the conduct of the people who are supposed to be in the class will be looked at with much more scrutiny and weighed, uh, in this exact context. So they may not have the keys to the courthouse if their own conduct was bad, claiming That's, someone else is bad. That that comes into play when you have the class. How about one individual with friendly facts to go with an unfair, deceptive business practices, maybe trouble damages for these same causes of action, but to get around every every hurdle we talked about for plaintiffs here is is kind of tied to the class. Um, track. Do you see an individual making any noise, filing right. something like this? So this is near and dear to me. It, it is an act of self-deprecation, but it's true. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, the California legislature changed 17200 in class action standing. Um, in the middle of one of my cases under 17200, we had an aggrieved plaintiff who was suing on behalf of the people of California under the old rules. Our case went to the California Supreme Court um, after the legislature came in and slightly changed it. And they told us that unless we go ahead and qualify for class action certification under the proper way, that the method we were using was improper. So they, <laughs> they put us back down to the trial court um, and, and, and in that case. And that forever changed 17200 litigation in California. So now you literally have to have all the things needed to certify a class to be able to bring a claim under 17200 that would be for mass injunctive relief. And just to touch back on what you were saying about the securities component of this, <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say this, but paragraph 224 of the complaint touches on the California law concerning that and enumerates five factors that typically apply to determine whether a particular security meets the efficient market requirement. One, whether the security trades at high volume. This definitely did. Two, whether securities analysis follows and report on the security. Three, whether the security has market makers and arbitragers. Four, whether the company is whether the company is eligible to file SEC registration. And five, whether there are empirical facts showing a cause and effect relationship between unexpected corporate events or financial releases and an immediate response to the stock market. So they do try to weave into this the securities aspect, and they they harp on it with respect to ApeCoin, and and the price of Yuga, and I think that's the direction they're trying to go. That's the clause in the complaint right before the first cause of action, 
which is violation of the California unfair competition law. Yeah, the amount of- Don't you guys see damages as a big problem here? Yeah. Uh, you know, that goes to the terms of balkanization of everyone being kind of different. Some folks made money. That's what I'm saying, right? So I don't, well, that, is yeah, that almost a, Yeah, because a lot of the allegations in this lawsuit are the very things that people were the most excited about, about the Board Ape Yacht Club, the cover of Rolling Stone, Jimmy Fallon getting an ape, Madonna getting an ape, Bieber getting an ape. These are all events, very, very, uh, very, very major milestones in the evolution of this NFT project that made people a shit ton of money, which is now being sort of leveraged to to make this allegation that these people were defrauded. So I see your point, Ira, and Fidgel, you bring the, up a good point. What's the misleading part? It's misleading that it was, it was a security? I think it was misleading from the perspective of they failed to disclose their connection but that in and of it, itself is not a harm. Well, Sorry, okay. I so no, no, no. I mean, you, you, you're, I, I'm in your choir, I'm, you know, but, but okay, let's look at it from their perspective. Um, you know, you have the FTC endorsement rules where you have to disclose compensation when you're going ahead and advocating for something. And uh, I'm assuming that if you just state that in a complaint, you may get past a motion to dismiss under 17200, which is a, Hard to get rid of it, a dispositive motion. Uh, now, does 17200 get you home? Uh, it's a state cause of action. If you're under the Class Action Fairness Act and you're, you know you have minimal diversity and over $5 million, you may be able to stay in federal court. This case is going to be motions to dismiss, motions to compel arbitration. Uh, there'll be class certification motions all over the place. Um, and this thing's going to be pruned down. Now, if you're the plaintiff, what do you do to to uh, neutralize the fidgetal approach? You go ahead and you take the easiest legal argument you have and you ask the court to handle that first. Go, you know, Your Honor, let's handle remedies later. Let's just only answer one question right now that you could answer as a matter of law. Um, you know, and you, and you say what it is. Uh, did they have to disclose they were compensated, or or is, is this ApeCoin a security or not? And you know the court may say, well, we got to go through discovery, and you know there may be issues of fact. But if these class action plaintiffs and their counsel are smart, they would create in a status conference stages for this, where they get rid of all this annoying procedural stuff and literally try making it so questions of law can be decided first. Otherwise, this Correct. whole thing's going to go to the crapper. Because if they get certified, that that's that, that's the beginning of class action uh, chaos in the space, right? Yeah, and a judge may be reluctant to go ahead and certify, uh, handle such questions, because uh, you know, if they certify the class and those questions are answered in favor of defendant, defendant now gets race judicata and collateral estoppel. So. There is there's a lot of strategy that has to go on right here. Um, you know, if you win on these issues, you want to bind anybody who could ever sue you. <laughs> and if you lose, you know, you also want to know about it maybe before you certify a class. If it were me, um, and it's not, but if it were me and this is not legal advice, I would do everything I can to move this to arbitration and figure everything out after that. You know, it's interesting from the perspective of the number of lawyers it's going to take to represent all of these celebrities who have been lumped into this lawsuit. And how do these celebrities respond? I mean, there, there are a lot of big names in this lawsuit. And we already talk about the fact that there are, there's, there's already a shortage of lawyers who understand Web3 technology. Uh, I'm curious to see response, who's going to be... The response is going to be a function of the truth, right? Like, were they paid and was this a deal? And is there an indemnity clause, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Or was it like, oh, no, I, 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 I was in the Discord and I liked the apes. So I'm going to like, I made a purchase and, oh, yeah, I decided to put it on my late night TV show. Like, whatever the truth is, I think dictates a lot of that strategy. However, regardless of what the truth is, it's probably going to be coordinated among them and probably very, very quiet unless anything out of the order, anything non-procedurally 
needs to actually be said. But my guess I, is, you, isn't you probably going to? Isn't Yuga going to? Uh, this is just from strategy. Wouldn't they offer defense or or, or indemnity for the, the the celebrities for if for they brand? had a business relationship where it was like 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 FTX and Brady had an indemnity clause in their you know very obvious marketing deal but i would i would assume but the question here is were they marketing deals or was it naturally purchased or whatever so so that's yeah, because well, accepting uh, accepting representation from from yuga would essentially admit that point wouldn't it jenko i don't think you admit anything but i would be very wary about cross representation in a in a case like this unless you're like major insurers on the same side of the tobacco legislation you get your own kind of counsel and don't waive that what do you think panel the the way the the way that this could work is that there's probably some agreement between them and the agreement and you're going to love this one we all know this typically says that if any party does something that's illegal they're not going to get indemnified right now here, wow! This, <laughs> and now, okay. so now they're going to yeah. the co-defendants are going to be arguing the well, SEC. Well, wait, well, no, no, wait, wait, well, no. So, so what ends up happening here, and this is to Fidgetal's point, is that the duty to disclose the endorsement, let's argue, is at least on the celebrity doing the endorsement. They do it in real time, or they do it in their social media, so they have an obligation arguably if the FTC rule is manifested somehow through 17200. Uh, and so now the question really is, is that if they cause the illegality, um, does, does Yuga know this? Of course they know it. And now it becomes this really nasty question as to whether or not they should have to indemnify for a willful violation of this kind of rule. And, and that's going to be a problem between the two. But what they're probably going to do is work out kind of like a joint defense agreement of some sort and then decide later on in another arbitration after bad stuff happens, who owes what. I can't imagine <clears throat> that they would all cross-claim against each other in this action. I, uh, they, I just, just to your point, go ahead, Fidgetal. Do they talk about jurisdiction? So obviously the smoking gun, the easiest thing for both damages and illegality would be ApeCoin. It sounds like they included ApeCoin in there. Do they touch on jurisdiction? Well, let me let, they claim that did triple. Go ahead, Ari. Sorry, uh, Ray, you, you, you go ahead. I'm sorry for cutting you off. No, go ahead, Ira. Go ahead. Well, when you say jurisdiction, um, you know, you look to the various agreements for choice of law, choice of forum. Uh, you also look to where folks are located. I think they brought it in. Um, in federal court in California, does uh, does anyone have it in front of them? Is it in I do. Yes. In, uh, Central, yes. District uh, Central District of California, Western Western Division, Central. If it's yep. in Central District, it's a, it's a, is it Central? They claim, yes. they claim Central Central they, District Western Division. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, they they probably brought it where they believe the uh, the eight the um, board eight folks reside. I'm guessing exactly. it's probably it's probably in Los Angeles in the central district if that's the case. Paragraph um, fifty two. This court may exercise yeah. jurisdiction over defendants because they have continuous and systematic contacts with this district, do substantial business in the state and within this district, and engage in unlawful practices in this district that described in the complaint. But yeah. specifically for ApeCoin, do you think they're making a UBO argument? I would imagine that their argument for ApeCoin is to put on really dark sunglasses, do not look at the ApeCoin DAO's terms of use for ApeCoin, argue that whatever the heck they did is a tort, and that uh, you should ignore whatever this terms of service are and say that the center of gravity emanated right out of the same you know, apartment or house that bored apes emanated from. And then uh, let the court decide how they want to handle it. Maybe there'll be some discovery on that. As I said, the first thing that it's likely these folks are going to do is at least for the folks, for the entities that have arbitration clauses in here, they're going to move to compel arbitration. The other side will argue unconscionability and unenforceability. 
There may be a little discovery that goes on, and then the fidgetal arguments will be made on whether or not it goes to arbitration or not in terms of if you call that jurisdiction. I wouldn't say, though, Ira or, or any X, Dow, Lexa, anyone else, I wouldn't say, though, that the ape coin, when I read, and I read through it just at my level, like, I don't know, there's a lot going on there. The ape coin might be the furthest reach of the claims, of, of the actions. I, I think that the undisclosed celebrity organic versus marketed purchases can be, if you if you strip away everything else, that's the shortest putt to legal liability. Maybe not damages, maybe not class certification, maybe not the destruction of the NFT industry. But if you get there, you don't, you, you, you get money. I, th- I think you win. The, I, th- I think the plaintiff, I think, I think that's, that's the shortest putt in my head. I don't know. But what would be, what would be the compensation that would be, you know, the entire class would be able to get, um, you know, let's assume that uh, my friends and I own this stuff and we know ever, the inner workings of all this and, and I'm in the class Am I entitled to you? What would my compensation be? Couldn't there be treble damages for intent? Only because, and that's the reason I mentioned ApeCoin, is because I think at the end of the day, these these decisions, Ari, we've talked about this, are going to come down to, uh, like, did you do your best and intent? And out of all the all, all the entities, the one thing that they decided to incorporate offshore and go through a side company, right? Exactly. Uh, they mentioned it in the complaint. They mentioned exactly. in the complaint that they tried to to distance themselves by forming the DAO. You're absolutely right, Fidgetal. So, in terms of intent and potentially fraud and 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 treble damages or, or, or punitive damages, uh, no, I, I refuse. They set I the re- company re- up. They set the company up. That's not fraud. Yeah, you can't be. You, it can't be a negative notch against you. One side's going to argue that the whole point of corporations is to create limited liability and that's what they wanted to do. Another side's going to say where the smoke this fire, you, you, you look like a nut house, not doing it in California. It's every case is like that. But, but here's the thing. in in terms of what I would argue would be discipline, you work backwards. I don't want to hear about bad, this bad, that treble, this treble, that I want to know what's your injury first. If you have no injury, frankly, you may not have standing, but if you have no injury, then, then three times zero is zero. And I'm well, even, you know, so, so, that's so, why the so, class, the class, yeah. I, I totally agree. But if you can find any individual and talk about when they purchased, why they purchased, if they saw it from a certain celebrity who pretended that they were organically purchasing or not, or whatever the facts may bear, that's an easy way to be like, well, U.S. dollars, it was four hundred and fifteen thousand dollars back then. Now it's worth 55,000 easy damage. Like that's my calculus. If I'm a single plaintiff under unfair and deceptive business practices or, or, or failure to disclose the FTC stuff. And, and that's my shortest line, the class and everything else puts the lawyers up front and really puts, puts a lot of hurdles between plaintiffs and any recovery. So I think we're isn't, on the, I, I, isn't, I, I isn't think that why the coin is so, isn't that, that's what I'm saying. That's why I think the coin is such a, a, a solid target. Cause it didn't go up, right? It only basically went down. So I think that's much more provable uh, uh, damage. They didn't no? buy it on the the IPO was an airdrop. It wasn't a purchase at that first price. So you'd have to find secondary buyers, which who may or may not have made money. So it's it, I think Ira's point to me is you can't. There's no uniformity in answering that question, which is a big time barrier to this case succeeding. I think. I'll confront that uh, paragraph 175 of this complaint discusses, and it says, quote, in an attempt to shield themselves from liability related to the solicitation sale of these unregistered tokens, the executive defendants formed the ApeCoin DAO, the foundation and the board. The organization manages these assets and completely unofficially Yuga Labs put this all together, put another way. The executive defendants created the Ape Foundation and Ape Dow Board in order to maintain the veneer of plausible deniability an independent entity allocating tokens to a company and its founders rather than the company and its founders pumping their own investments. This goes to the library case, right? So I think they're, they're stopping to accept the argument of 
oh, I, I, I didn't sell directly or right. Well, Fidgetal, it goes to the notion that there's a lot of folks who create DAOs thinking it's an obfuscation layer to any business activity they're doing that may be dubious. And so to be fair to the plaintiffs in this case, you could throw that DAO cause claim or paragraph or hyperbole, whatever you want, into almost any case against the DAO. Um, because a lot of people start the DAOs saying, I love crypto, I love NFTs, I don't know what the risks are, I can't make a corporation in California, so maybe this DAO will be an obfuscation layer, so if something bad happens, it just won't be me they target. And that's the problem with all this. And they're not real DAOs, right? For the most part, uh, until DAOs are, are implemented properly, they're going to have, they're, they're likely going to be able to find centralized control. Yeah, I mean, look, also you have some major players involved in all this. I mean, I'm, I'm imagining some of the top VCs, some of whom may, may actually be my clients. I don't even remember. But anyway, you have some top VCs in Silicon Valley, you know, that got a whole bunch of uh, this ape coin. The ape coin, let's remember what it's for. It was for playing games. And the funny joke is not funny anymore that, that it, you know, folks have at Starbucks and, you know, in Nerdville is uh, what you get, $16 million worth of aid coin? You must really love games. I mean, that, that's much more than you'll, you'll ever need to, like, uh, you know, buy, buy land in some, you know, other verse or whatever. So it, there's a lot of unseemly stuff. This complaint is data mining all of the heckling folks have done, throwing it up against the wall. They're probably praying to God that they don't have to go through with multi-million dollar e-discovery unless they can afford it and then hoping that they can get some sort of settlement out of this that, that gets some attorney's fees. Um, yeah, I also, so that's kind of it. I also thought that the SEC's probe timing-wise for ApeCoin was intentional before it could gain its utility in the other side. Um, so I didn't think that was coincidental. This, uh, this lawsuit is going to definitely have some interesting implications for the space and it's going to definitely through the discovery process that ira is discovering is discussing shake out a lot of facts and information that uh that could be detrimental to the floor price of this project um could be detrimental which, which, to the floor price which again goes <laughs> back to the whole point of this is these people it could are, be detrimental are, to the whole system I mean, uh, thank you. Yep. Yeah, it's it's detrimental to the floor price. There couldn't there. A lot of things could happen. There could be a lot of twists and turns. It could just be an undisclosed amount paid during uh, jams mediation and, and we all move on. But damn, Ira, you tell me like and I know you're wrapping up, Carlo, but the. You you did the class you did you did work with the with the Google and the 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 Internet class action. But I'm just trying to think throughout history, just like the stories that we know as litigators, the, the, the tobacco, everything else. These industries became very, very robust before and they made a lot of money before the class action lawyers found their way to them. And they had decades and decades of customers and generations of customers. And this may be different. So I can it survive does it get to that point where like if there's a seam the class action lawyers just come in yeah so there's two metaphors that i want to use from my old person perspective we brought the very first privacy lawsuit major privacy lawsuit for internet uh, we sued DoubleClick in 1999 for their cookies and invisible gifs which pretty much covered almost every browser and person known to mankind as a whole it was consolidated ultimately in New York, and we got a, a, a remedy. It was injunctive relief uh, for the entire class, and we got attorney's fees to stop what we call double clicks, you know, uh, privacy intrusions and click stream and all that other stuff. The, the, the other one that we did, and so that wasn't devastating to double click, and they, they ultimately were bought by Google. The other one that we did that just reminds me of was Antenna Gate when Steve Jobs 
introduced the iPhone and he called it antenna gate because the antennas were done in a very peculiar way for iPhone four, I believe. And then we were lead counsel for that case. And we had like tens of millions of people in our class. We ended up getting, I forgot somewhere between four and $10 a person. The litigation went on for a long time. We went to jams twice before a former federal judge and the case ultimately was resolved. Folks got money back and they also got free iPhone repairs for a period of time. Uh, I think that this case is going to be something like that. This case, this complaint, and I don't want to, you know, pass blame or whatever. It's not focused. It's kind of just shooting everything you possibly can. Um, it will get focused pretty quickly. I think the judge is going to probably engage in significant case management. Uh, I do believe like these other cases, when we filed DoubleClick and Apple, 20 other cases were filed around the country. We were the first in both. Then they go to an MDL process where they decide which courthouse it will be in. And then there's a process where they appoint lead counsel. And just because you file first doesn't mean you'll be lead counsel. You know, they tend to go with for firms with resources and <clears throat> sophistication. Um, so... Yes, I think you raise a really good point, Ray. You know, I have to say that after seeing this, I would expect other class action firms to find nominal plaintiffs, get themselves cases filed in other jurisdictions, maybe even in this one, and then to go through an MDL process. So this whole thing may actually, absent like a ridiculous motion for preliminary injunction, this whole thing may ta procedurally take many, many, many well, years, but many, many months to figure out who's even allowed to make the first argument in court. So that, I think that's probably where it's headed. The um, There's other class action firms positioning now for their piece of that legal fee, if it comes to that. Wow. All right, Carla, what's up? Well, you know, I, I was talking floor price because it, it becomes almost a circular firing squad at that point, because the whole premise of the lawsuit, as you all talked about, is to protect these consumers, but all of these multiple fronts that this, uh, this Yuga Labs organization is going to have to fight in order to defend these class actions is, is potentially going to dilute the value of this project, which then hurts the members of the class. It's the XRP, it's the XRP conundrum, dude. Well, exactly, if wanna, exactly. Well, if, if, uh, it's same thing, but and, and you go to those secondary buyers. Your real class are those that bought high sold low and are out of it and they bought high based on some wrong information or failure to disclose and they they sold low for economic pressures whatever and they really and I think the lawsuit contemplated that jenko because they do talk about the plummeting value of these assets um after the market tanked so i think All they right, prepared for that well i might i got terrible reception carlo keep it going as long as you you want i know you have something coming up but thank you everyone who joined today we had a nice audience nice discussion fidgetal you're always welcome ira you know in california you can give someone a law degree if they follow you around in spaces for three years and kind of ask you questions so fidgetal ira knows the paperwork on that you can skip the bar you can skip law school go straight to the bar exam i'm already a lawyer right <laughs> oh okay great <laughs> i've been a lawyer for 10 years <laughs> i thought you were more from the tech side i didn't know i didn't i, I had no idea we, we we need to interview you to just come on for 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 a lex line um uh, I, hear your full history i don't practice that much anymore i, I just uh, i enjoy building shit and and the combination of especially in this space uh, it's been it's been tech uh, and, and implementation in kind of real estate and hospitality and and, and logistics. Now it's fun with uh, IP. All right, we're gonna we'll, we'll have you for for a time, and and next week's gonna be great with pelts. But thank you today for everyone who joined. Yeah, thank you to everyone. It is Friday, so we generally try to keep the uh, the show casual on Friday. We keep it to an hour. Thank you to everyone who came up and talked about this. I think this is definitely something that's going to be an ongoing conversation and does have broad implications for the NFT marketplace and uh, will potentially further define whether these things fall into the category of securities. Ira, thank you so much for your insights. Jenko, as always, love, love hosting these with you. Ex-lawyer, thank you for jumping in. Welcome to Dalexa for the first time. We're very, very, very happy thank to you. have you in the spaces. 
And Fidgetal, as always, a pleasure to have you around as well. So I hope everyone has an outstanding weekend and we'll continue to monitor this lawsuit along with the other dozen things that are going to come in over the weekend. And we'll follow up on all of this next week. Thank you, everyone. Thanks.